Amen. Have a seat, church. Uh, it's good to see you this morning, New Vintage. Way to praise the Lord. Amen. Way to go. I mean, keep it up. He's going to think you mean it. So uh, we, we, we love to praise the Lord here. And this morning, I want you to kind of just keep that going, keep that flow going, thinking about the goodness of God. All right. Um, I can, you'll hear more about it later, but I want to encourage you to invite your friends to Christmas Eve. We're going to keep praising God. We're going to keep uh, lifting him up and praising his name and giving thanks to all that God has done for us. And we live in heavy, 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 heavy times, okay? We know that, um, but we live in extremely heavy times. And this morning, I believe that the Lord has a good word for us. I want to introduce you to four people. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. Norma. Norma supports her kids ever since her husband died. She's the breadwinner. She went back to school, got her degree, worked hard, landed a great job, which was some small consolation for her because every night when she rolls over to put her arm where her husband used to be and hits that empty spot, her heart sinks a little bit. She keeps going for the sake of the kids. She tries to keep a stiff upper lip, keep pressing on, keep going. And so she was so excited to get this job. It gave her something to take her mind off things. It really helped kind of get her self-esteem back and everything. And now the words come down that they're going to be layoffs. They're going to do it by seniority. And she realizes, I just got here. And so she understands what it may mean. And she thinks to herself, after all the grief and after all of the, the, uh, the hard work that she's put in, what am I going to do now? Ben is 17. He remembers what it was like to be happy. He remembers, he used to hang out with his friends. They'd run around, mess around uh, on the weekends. Ben, uh, you know, was a typical average American teenager with a good life. He had friends. He was so happy. Then, then COVID hit, and his whole life got turned upside down. He wasn't in school anymore. Uh, he was at home staring at the, at the bedeviled screens. And he was at home. His friends started moving away to Idaho and Oregon and Arizona, and they changed schools. And so by the time they came back, he didn't have any friends left at the school he was in. And every time he talks to his parents and tries to explain how he's feeling to his parents, he, he runs into their uh, anxiety because all they do is spend their days looking at headlines about COVID and what's wrong in the world. And they get really uptight. So emotionally, he feels kind of shocked every time he he puts his hand there, so to speak. He doesn't, he feels exhausted. He feels unhappy. Uh, he feels like he walks around with a, with a cloud over his head. Every day for him, he finds is emotionally exhausting, whether he has school or not. Tom's been a Christian his whole life. Tom, uh, born and raised in the church. Tom has a, a, a time-tested faith, and he believes rationally in God. And most of the time, prior to maybe a year or two ago, he felt like, he experienced him on a daily basis, but right now he feels completely stale, completely overmatched. Maybe numb is the right word, but he wakes up every day thinking, okay, there's a spiritual battle, I'm in it, and I'm going to go tackle that battle, and he finds himself losing every day. Doesn't matter what the battlefield is, if it's lust, temper, uh, greed, whatever the case may be, he feels completely and utterly overmatched. And so he finds himself going, okay, I hear what the preachers say to me about victory and about us triumphing over this and that and the other, but, but I, if I'm supposed to be triumphant, why, why, uh, why do I lose all the time? 
It, it, are the critics right? Are the critics right that maybe what I'm doing when I praise, I just kind of cry out to somebody who's not really there? Is that what's happening? Or, or is, it, is it that darkness actually is stronger? Is it that all that stuff that I've grown up believing, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not as powerful as I thought? Holly logs into social media before bed each night, finds herself going to bed sad every night. She compares herself to others. She sees the other moms. They seem like they're taking better care of themselves. They seem like their kids are more adjust, better adjusted. Uh, they're always smiling in their pictures. And she looks at her own pictures, and she sees herself smiling, but she knows she wasn't very happy when that picture was taken. She forced that smile. She looks, and they're all, their houses are decorated cuter than hers. Her husband seems like he's happier than hers. She looks over at her husband, who's asleep next to her in the bed, and she wonders, I wonder if he wishes he had married one of them instead of me. And she goes to bed sad and ashamed every night. So all four of them, the next morning, Norma, Ben, Tom, Holly, they each get up on Sunday and they head to the same church. And there they get there and they expect to hear an Advent sermon. They expect they're going to hear something about wise men or camels or something like that. And you know, maybe it'll be somebody will bring some, some uh, you know, cookies or lemon bars or something like that. Maybe that'll help get them out of it. But they realize um, that that doesn't happen. And so instead, what happens is they all show up to the same church and the preacher gets out the Bible and he says to them, now, we're going to read this passage today from Philippians chapter four. And they've heard this one a thousand times and they think, where are my camels? I need somebody to take my mind off of this thing. Why are you giving me this? And the preacher then continues to read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And here's what he reads. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so the four of them sit there in different parts of the room, wondering where their camels are. Half of them think, I'm trying not to be anxious. The other two think to themselves, he just doesn't get it. If he had a life like mine, you know? Now, the irony is, of course, the Apostle Paul is writing this. It's a prison letter. He's writing it from jail. And the irony is this passage is put by the Revised Common Lectionary in the bloodstream of the church during Advent. For some reason, the church universal sees this as a Christmas passage. So, Tom, Holly, Norma, Ben, Merry Christmas from Paul. He has something different for you. He doesn't have wise men and camels for you. Instead, he has something better. The Lord's presence. That's his antidote 
to anxiety. I mean, there is very little in this world that if I knew God was actually near and he was actually with me, if I really believe that, there's very little in this world that I would be unwilling to try, unwilling to attempt, if I really sensed the power and presence of God. In Greek mythology, there was a woman by the name of Cassandra, a figure. She's a woman in Greek mythology that was cursed to utter true prophecies, meaning she only spoke the truth. But the curse was nobody believed her. So she would get up and she would say, hey, this is going to happen, and hey, this is true, and that's true, and this is true, and that is true, but nobody would listen to her. I got to think that Paul, Jesus, and all these folks feel similarly. That Jesus said in a very wonderfully realistic passage, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in this case, it's Paul saying, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I mean, it is a terrible feeling to shout the truth from the mountaintops and not be believed. And yet many biblical writers probably have that experience from the other side at some point. Nothing, sisters and brothers, will determine our futures as much as whether we hear the words of Scripture and believe them. Nothing. And I don't mean rationally, just kind of ascend to them. I mean, I mean, do them. To believe it in, that, in the core of our being, that what we're hearing Scripture speak to us are the words of life, and that if we will take them and believe them and do them, that something good will happen. We do have an anxiety epidemic in our country. Some of it's medical, some of it's overdiagnosis, some of it's self-induced. If you don't think we have a problem, we are bringing support horses and support kangaroos on airplanes. Things are out of control in this regard. We are taking a record amount of anxiety medications and yet we still can't sleep. We worry about our finances. We worry about our kids. We worry about our kids' finances. We worry about our boyfriend, our girlfriend. We worry about what's going on in the world. Maybe it's climate change. Maybe it's the national debt. Maybe it's inflation. Maybe it's the situation with China. Maybe it's the situation in our neighborhood, our receding hairline, our, our enlarging waistline. Whatever the case may be, you may find yourself worried in what Scripture is trying to tell you during Christmas is don't. The Lord is near. Will Paul speak to us today and we walk out of here like Cassandra just spoke to us? Or will we listen briefly and then pay him no mind? Or will we believe the Holy Spirit through him this morning with some remarkable truths? Let's just take them a bite at a time. How about this one? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. There's this connection between the rejoicing, and he doesn't say just rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. You rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. Always. So otherwise, we, we ought to despair. We ought to feel totally spiritually orphaned on this earth, but we're not. We're children of God. And what Paul's trying to help us understand is like, look, to these people who are going through persecution, they're divided. Paul is trying to hold them together. He's trying to do these different things. He says, listen, he goes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Sometimes you keep practicing it until you actually learn how to play it, if that makes sense. So sometimes the best thing you can do is force out the joy, force out the rejoicing, say what you believe when you don't feel it at the moment. And the reason he gives is because the Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. Not just rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness, some of your translations will say reasonableness. You can go either way on it. Let it be evident to all the Lord is near. And now all of a sudden it makes sense. Now there are no camels or wise men here, but there is a lot of gospel here. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. He talks about the one who will be born and how it fulfills the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ah. When he's born, they give him that name. That God is with us. And so we rejoice in the Lord always, and we do it because the Lord is near. And because the Lord is near... When God is near, anxiety isn't. Philippians 4, 6 suggests the antidote for anxiety is prayer. Let's try it on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard like a soldier, in front of your hearts and your minds. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Much of the anxiety that we feel, sisters and brothers, has to do with two things. Either thinking we can go it alone, or thinking we should go it alone. Neither are true. I'm going to give you some swimming analogies here to, to, to do this. I remember being maybe 10 years old. And typical Southern California kid, I kind of grew up on the beach in swimming pool. I swam, 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 swam. I, I used to find a swimming pool. We didn't have one at my house. So I'd just wait till the neighbors went to work, and then I'd go down the fence line, jump in their backyard, and use their pool. Uh, I was a swimmer. I love swimming. And you grow up, when you're in Long Beach, you, you see Catalina out there. And it's amazing how, when you're young, you think, I bet I could swim out there. I bet I could make it. You think to yourself, it's a little bit like going to Coronado Landing and seeing the downtown San Diego skyline, thinking, hey, not that far. I bet I get, yeah, see, easy. I can make it, no problem. Well, what you don't realize at the time, because you're 10, is that just because you can make it from this end of the pool to that end of the pool, does not mean you can make it from Long Beach to Catalina. That water is cold. There are sharks in that water. There are currents in that water. There are all sorts of other wildlife fun under your feet there. You have no chance of doing it. None. But that doesn't keep you from thinking you can. That's what a lot of people do with their lives. They think, okay, I know what I can do. Hey, look, that looks pretty easy. I don't really need, I don't need God. It's close enough. And I'm a good swimmer. I got my life together. Look at the job. Look at the house. Look at the family. Look at the cars. Look at how well I'm doing without them. I can swim to Catalina. No, you can't. You can't. You think you're a better swimmer than you are. And you think that the destination is closer than it is. Okay? 
if we think we'll be fine, we think we can do it, we think our lives are going fine, and what, you know, what other people need, I, I don't need that. If that's where you are today, let me suggest to you, you're swimming to Catalina. Good luck. Your anxiety comes from a subtle knowledge that you know you can't. You probably sense the burn in your arms and your lungs. You feel the cramping in your legs. And you realize, I've been going at this now for a long time, and, my, and the island ain't getting any closer. What the Bible offers you instead is the nearness of the Lord. There's a little lake in Crestline, California, called Lake Gregory. My family's been going there since probably the 50s. There are pictures of my grandfather swinging my dad when he was a little boy. And there's pictures of my dad swinging me, my grandfather swinging me in the lake up there. And so one of the rites of passage are when you're old enough to swim across the lake by yourself. Now, I was maybe 10, 11 when I decided this was my time I was going to do it. So, I mean, looking at it now, it's kind of laughable. You kind of go, I could easily swim that now. It's like I could swim to Catalina. So I jump in the water. Of course, the dad says, hey, you want me to go with you? No. No, I got this. So I get in. Off I go. Across the lake. And I'm doing fine. I mean, I was a good swimmer. By 10-year-old standards, I was like one of the top 10-year-old you know, swimmers with a big ego in Southern California. Um, so, so I got into the water, and then I get maybe, I don't know, third, maybe half, and I realize the shore, the other side's not getting much closer. It's about as far as it was when I left. I look back, the shore behind me is far behind me. The shore ahead is not getting closer. And I realize, okay, I'm out here a ways. And then the creepy stuff starts. The seaweed from the lake is coming up and grabbing and tickling my legs. And you're like, ooh, this is nasty out here. And it kind of creeps you out. And then fish start slapping against your legs from underneath the water. because you're, And you're kind of sitting there and you're like, okay, things are burning. You're up high. The altitude is, I don't know, maybe 5,000 feet, something like that. So you don't have the typical oxygen. And in that little basin right there in Crestline, it gets real smoggy. All the joy of Los Angeles flows right that way and fills that basin with that. So all of a sudden now your lungs are kind of starting to do this thing. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there, and I look back because I realize I'm getting in trouble here. I might be in trouble. What am I going to do? I too big of an ego to yell for a lifeguard. That's not an option. Death is a better option than that. I'm not doing that. I look back at my dad, and he is there, but he is not paying attention. And all of a sudden, I have that uh-oh moment, and I start to panic because I realize I'm out here. I'm not going to make it, <laughs> and nobody's going to rescue me. He's not even paying attention. Okay, that feeling, okay, I am out here, I'm drowning, and yes, I have a father, but he's way over there, and he's not paying attention. That is the feeling of the anxious Christian. It is dad is here, I believe in him, but he's way over there, and he's not really paying attention, because if he was, I wouldn't feel this way. That's how we think. It's not the right way to think. It's just how we think. All right? Contrast that. I, obviously, I'm standing here, so I didn't drown. I survived. But contrast that with a different trip. I'm fast forward a few years from there. I'm 13, 14. Okay? I'm playing water polo. I'm surfing every day. I'm, I'm, I'm a great swimmer at this point. And now there's another rite of passage where me and my dad are going to go hit the water slide together across the other side. So we decide we're going to swim the lake together. 
So we get in there and we start swimming across. And then, I don't know, halfway, two-thirds of the way across, leg cramp, hamstring. Hamstring, you're done. Like, if you get a hamstring cramp, like, you, it's hard to swim with a hamstring cramp. And you know what? No big thing. Big dude's right next to me. Zero panic. Because I know there's dad. So if I get in real trouble, he can just throw me on his back, haul me in. No big deal. Okay? That's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying to people, the Lord is at hand. He's right here. He's near. Don't try to swim to Catalina. Bad idea. Nor do you need to feel like you're swimming across by yourself. And dad's back on the shore, not paying attention. He wants Christians to feel like, no, 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 God is near. He's right here. So now all of a sudden, I feel empowered, right? I feel courageous because if God's here, and this is the testimony of Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation, if God is with you, you can't lose. If God is against you, you can't win. I mean, Israel will, will tell you that. I mean, every, every time we went up against God, guess what? We lost. Every time anybody else went up against God, they lost. Just ask Pharaoh. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar. Ask any of those other people. But when God is with us, we can't be stopped. The walls of Jericho, the fiery furnace, the Red Sea can't stop us. And so what Paul's trying to help the, the church of Philippi understand is that you don't need to be anxious. If you're swimming across, so to speak, and the leg cramps start, and you feel the moss around your legs, and you feel the fish slapping against your legs, and you're getting creeped out, and you're just like, you know what? I just want out of here, or whatever. You don't need to be anxious because the Lord's at hand. He's at hand. He's right here. Is there anything that we wouldn't be willing to try if we believed God was really with us? I mean, if you really knew God was with you. David's like, give me a couple rocks, I'll take Goliath. No problem. God's with me. Right? See the boldness that goes there and the courage that goes with that versus the I'm going to swim to Catalina approach. Or I got such a big ego that even if I'm struggling, I won't even call out to God. I'm going to sit here and cramp up until I'm just bubbles coming up from the bottom of the lake because I don't have the humility to say I need the Lord. So what Paul does here in this Christmas passage is amazing. And he actually says, if you, how about you trade this? Take your anxiety, take all the worry you got, exchange it for prayer. Instead of being anxious, pray. You ever been so anxious you can't even pray? I have. You're just like, uh, and the reason is for me, sometimes I feel like anxiety on its own is a demonstrates a lack of faith. It's not true. Do you remember what Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane? When he feels the sin of the world on his shoulders, it says he gets some of his followers with him and he goes and he prays. He lives this out. Paul's saying, instead of just sitting there and swimming in your big pool of anxiety and mess until you're a crumpled ball of, of pathetic over in the corner, try something different. Call on the God of the universe, and you don't even need to use a super loud voice, because guess what? He's right here. God, I need your help. God, I'm not trusting you. Help my unbelief. 
Do you see what beautiful stuff he's given us here at Christmas time? He says, God is near. Jesus is near. Call out to him. And it's not, understand, guys, this is not some like cheap little like multivitamin or chicken soup for the soul kind of thing. When, when, you, when you pray, you're calling on the God of the universe. You're talking to him. It means something. It's not a cheap substitute like, 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 like people who like cauliflower things, you know, right now. It's like, hey, you know, you, you go to some potluck and you, and you scoop up a big plate of rice and you put it in your mouth and it tastes like sewage. And you're like, what is that? Eh, oh, that's cauliflower rice. You're like, there's no such thing. It's rice or it's cauliflower. If you can't have cauliflower rice. Oh, no, that's even better for you than regular rice. No, it's terrible. And, and even if it's healthy, <laughs> it tastes like sewage. So I'm out. Hey, no, that's, that's not pizza crust. That's cauliflower crust. Ah, great. No, you have pizza crust or you have cauliflower. But pizza crust means it's made with all the gluten that God intended to, for a pizza crust to have, right? So I think people, I think people when we do this kind of thing, they, we, we, we come across to people sometimes because we try to make it seem like, oh, this is basically a healthier version of self-help stuff that the world gives you. Yeah, don't be anxious. Just, just pray in a wish fulfillment kind of way like we're clicking our heels on our way back to Kansas. No, that's not what prayer is. Prayer isn't like that at all. Prayer can be amazingly intimate, but make no mistake, it is the gift of God to his people, whether they pray to him just to simply thank him for his goodness, or whether they are broken and desperate and calling out to him for help. And you're moving the hand of God. You don't have to be so loud, like he's over there distracted and he can only handle one person at a time, like he's a Wendy's drive through worker. He can handle more than one thing at a time. By the way, it's no shot at Wendy's. I love Wendy's. But <laughs> no cauliflower at Wendy's. It's good stuff. But I'm saying you, you guys just go through your, your, your thing and you can sit there and feel like you're by yourself. You're not by yourself. And when you pray, you're not just trying to get quiet and peaceful and meditate. No, 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 no. You're talking to the one who made everything, including you. And he knows what you're going to ask him before you do. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. So, sister or brother, we aren't peddling some quick fix. We are trading anxiety and worry for the comfort and the proximity of God. In 1844, a young Irishman by the name of Joseph Scriven, we have his picture here, dashing lad. He completed college, went home to marry his sweetheart. About a week before his wedding, <clears throat> he's literally on horseback, uh, galloping across the plains, getting ready to get married. He comes across a creek, and when he looks into the creek, he sees his fiancée in that creek drowned, right before the wedding. He's absolutely devastated, and so he goes into seclusion and spends time, he was a minister, spends time praying, and really trying to console himself with the fellowship with God. He finds love again down the road about a decade later. And once again, he makes the travel to his wedding only to find that his fiancée has passed away from pneumonia this time before he gets there. Second time. So he goes back 
into seclusion, spends time with God in mourning and weeping. And eventually, he gets a letter from his mother, and he can pick up on her distress. She's over in Ireland. He's living in Canada at the time. But he gets this letter, and he hears that his mom's discouraged. And so he writes her an encouragement, a poem. After that, about 10 years later, this poem surfaces. People love the, the, the sentiment of it. A, a British lawyer finds it, loves the words, and decides to put a melody to it, turn it into a hymn. And that brings the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, into being. Through all that grief and all that devastation and all that loneliness, it's a poem from a brokenhearted son because he hears his mom is sad and depressed, and he's trying to share with her how the fellowship that he's experienced with Jesus in his time of grief has gotten him through that. And he's saying, Mom, this is what you need. You need this. And so he writes these breathtaking words. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And so he says, Mom, trade it out. What you're feeling right now, I've been there. Believe me, I've been there. But you can make a decision. I'm either going to crumple up into a ball of grief and I'm going, to, I'm going to choke on my own anxiety, my own grief. Or you can believe the Lord and you can go ahead and throw yourself into it and say, I'm going to take all of that instead. I'm going to trade it out for the peace of God, which Paul says transcends all understanding. And by the way, it stands and guards your heart in Christ. So you saying we have a choice. Christian, is Paul going to be Cassandra today or is he going to be Paul? Will we believe him? Will we believe, hey, listen, yeah, I gotta, I'm worried about this and worried about that, worried about this, worried about that, worried about this, worried about that, and, and believe that we can trade that out. If we don't, his next admonition is basically where our worry is there our hearts will be also. He says this, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying what you think about, okay, it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It turns you around. It steers you. Where your worry is, there your heart will be also. It's one of the reasons Jesus says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. You're going to have your hands full with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I cannot tell you how important what Paul says here is, okay? Because if we think, by the way, that we can just inhale the secondhand smoke of an anxious world around us, we can just inhale that day after day after day and then run without a wheeze, we're crazy. I mean, the more we think about God and his blessings, the more we sing about the goodness of God 
as opposed to thinking about all of the worst junk that's going on in the world, the more we see the future as something with real hope and possibilities. The more we spend our time thinking about how great and good God is as opposed to how powerful the evil one is. And so that sleight of hand that Satan does with us, where it's like uh, when you're on the freeway in the rain, you can't see super well, and you realize the car in front of you just stopped. And so you slam on the brakes. The only thing you see is the bumper in front of you. Nothing else matters. That's what anxiety does to you. It just goes, and the only thing you see is that. The final exam. The stack of bills. The breakup. Right? I remember uh, it was right after the gyms opened, uh, post-COVID. I pulled an upset and went to the gym. And I was sitting there on a pre-core, and they had about eight TV screens. Boom, 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 all the way across. Every single screen had a negative cry on on it. Thousands feared dead of this. Dog gets bad grooming haircut or whatever. Everything was negative. And I literally closed my eyes and finished my workout in the pre I just closed my eyes and said, some of you are doing that right now, actually. Uh, close your eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and just, I'm going to finish this because I just, I don't need extra. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I'm going to tune it out. I'm not going to give myself emotional and spiritual chemo thinking that it means I'm attached to the quote-unquote real world. I got a newsflash for you. Good is just as real as bad, guys. There's nothing more real about bad or negative. It's all there. It's not, you know, being being a realist does not mean you ignore the bad, but it certainly means you don't ignore the good. Um, The reality fallacy. Only the bad stuff is real. Um... You got to have a vision, sisters and brothers, for what God is already doing. And if Satan can take today away from you by making you look at ugliness in the face and that's all you can see, if he can make you slam on the brakes, focus here, you're not thinking about tomorrow and your hope is gone, just like that. But if instead we substitute those things for focusing on what is good and noble, praiseworthy. I think we might be surprised at what it does for us. We don't have to deny that there are bad things in the world, but as Jesus says, each day has enough trouble of its own, and so we don't need to deny that the bad happens, but we can understand that it's toxic to focus only on those things instead of the things that Paul lists here. I was taught this lesson by one of our NBC kids Friday night. We're over at the park and, uh, you know, it was, it was a blast. I loved, I loved it. But there, there was something that had me down. The snow machines that we had gotten were, were, were out of solution after about 30 minutes. So all the snow, like if you got there early, you had a blast because those things were blowing snow. In fact, I love this one kid, one of the first kids there. He walks right up to the snowblower, and he just puts his face right on the snowblower, opens his mouth, <laughs> and just does like this. And the thing's just just pounding snow into his face, which is probably why we're out of solution, but for everybody else. 
this kid, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of frustrated that the things are out of, out of uh, solution. So no snow. So I'm standing there, <clears throat> band starting to play, NBC's band. And all of a sudden, I feel this boom in the side of my leg. And I look down, it's little Isaac uh, McBriar. Uh, I remember that kid coming to church the first day. He showed up with a mohawk, and he was in a full suit. And uh, just, just, just what a kid. And anyways, he comes up, and he's just hugging my leg. Like, like he's drowning, and if he lets go, he's going to drown. Like he's just, you know, and he's lingering there. And I just look down at him, and I go, oh, thanks, buddy, you know, and, and everything. And, and uh, anyways, he just kind of keeps hugging my leg. And uh, anyways, after, afterwards, I, I went over to Biz, his, his mom, and I said, I go, Biz, let me tell you what, Isaac made my night. I said, he came up and gave me the biggest hug. And she goes, well, he goes, he looked at you, and he goes, Pastor Tim looks sad. And so he ran over and just went, and just did, I know, seriously, right? And I'm like, oh, like, man, it's like, that's totally cute. And at the same time, I'm going, do I look that bad? Like, did I really like, and she goes, yeah, well, he goes, most of the time when he sees you, you're smiling. And I said, I know, I know. But I said, I said the snowboard machines weren't working, you know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I said, but then I sat there and I thought about it and I'm band still playing. And they're singing, oh, holy night. And I go, we're doing, we're singing Oh Holy Night on a street corner in public in Southern California. I'm looking at the grand and I'm looking at the band. I'm listening to the music and I'm looking at the, all the people gathered there. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, and I had two thoughts. One was, first of all, if you see people who are sad, be an Isaac. That's what you do. They're sad. I'm going to go hug. I'm going to give them a hug. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to read some scripture, we'll pray with them, whatever. I want to encourage them, right? So, you know, out of the mouth of babes, right? But the other thing was, it's like, do you see how something is benign or small? As an out-of-fuel snowblower can cause you to miss an entire city corner of blessing. I mean, was I thinking about the fact that Dozens of people had shown up to volunteer and had served God all day long on that corner to get that thing ready. No, I didn't think about that. Did I think about the fact that we're allowed to do this? Like right now, we're singing Oh Holy Night, like a Jesus song. We're not singing Santa Baby or something. Like this is a real song. Like, like this is a Christmas song. It says Jesus in it, everything. And we're singing it loudly. Nobody's doing it. Did I think about the fact that we brought so many toys for these needy kids to the fire department they couldn't fit them in the truck? And we had to take them the next day because they couldn't fit them in the fire engine? No, I didn't think about that. Did I think, but you know why? Because the snowblower was broken. You see how that works? The brakes and slam on in front of you, zoom, here you are. And that's why. When he says, you got to think about these things. Being Isaac. The funny part was, earlier in the night, I'd gone up and said, hey, did you go get a picture with Santa? He goes, no. I go, why not? He goes, I don't see any reindeer. <laughs> yeah, Isaac, you're Mr. Positive yourself, you know? <laughs> but I thought to myself, I go, Even, it, can happen to, it can happen to kids, it can happen to grown-ups, and boy, 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 the older you get, man, the more jaded you can become if you're not careful, you know? And uh, 
police officers, firefighters, paramedics, pastors. See a lot of a lot of bad stuff. But man, do you see so much good stuff. You really do. You get a front row seat to the activity of God. And I'm looking around at the people who are volunteering. Half of them weren't even a Christian 18 months ago. And now here they are. Like, do you understand how awesome that is, right? So, so, okay, will you, will we just say, Paul, you're not Cassandra today. Today we listen. Today we say yes. We choose to rejoice in the Lord always. We choose to swap out anxiety we're not, we're, not, we're not swimming to Catalina. We're not doing that. We're not strong enough. And we can't get there on our own. But we celebrate not with just the camels and the magi and the wise men today. No, no, no. Today we're going to celebrate this, that the Lord is at hand. And we're going to focus on what he asks us to focus on. And we're going to try to deny what he tells us to look away from. And we're going to instead of singing... <laughs> The sad songs, we're going to sing what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And we're going to do that. We're going to say, nah, each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, I'm going to take this one. I'm going to swap it out. I'm going to do a trade. I'm going to trade all the anxiety, trade all my sorrows, trade all that stuff. I'm swapping it out for prayer, which reminds me, then Jesus, God's come near, Emmanuel. God with us. When he leaves the earth, Matthew 28, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, Behold, I am with you always. Still with us. So, sisters and brothers, let's be Isaacs. Um, little trick, and then we'll, we'll take communion here in just a second. A little trick I do. Have a spot. Uh, have, a, have a place doesn't mean it's the only place you experience God or anything like that. But what I've found is if I have a place or two, and I have one that I can get to anytime, and I have one that I have to like almost make a pilgrimage to, both of them are my spots. And when I'm feeling anxious or if angry or worried or whatever, I go to those places. It's like Jesus would withdraw and go to the wilderness. Have those spots where you can go and say, God, I'm... I'm connecting with you now. This is me trading out my anxiety for your nearness. And, uh, and then I'm going to pray to you, Father, and I want you to uh, remind me that you're, you're at hand, you're near. Because if I know you're with me, I, can, I feel like I can do anything. I can, I can slay giants. I can walk into the furnace. I can march around the wall and, and listen to it go splat. But man, when, when, if I feel like you're not there, boy, things get real scary real fast. Oh, Father, be near. And what we'll discover, I believe, is as Paul says in Romans 13, he's nearer now than ever. Nearer now than ever. This time we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, I'd like to invite those of you who uh, are passing out the elements. If you didn't get them on your way in and you'd like some bre a bread and cup, uh, just kind of put your hand in the air and we'll bring it to you. Uh, we do this every week here at New Venice Church, and we do it in remembrance of Jesus. Uh, who gave his body and blood for us. 
And I'd like to read this text again as our prayer this morning. Let us pray. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, here at Christmas time, we say yes to you in Jesus' name.